0: The guys will be passing out the prayer that we're going to be focusing on uh, this evening together, and just have it in front of us and be able to um, focus on it uh, together. Hope and pray you've had a good Lord's Day. It is an honor and privilege to assemble as the Lord directs on this, the Resurrection Day, on this, the first day of the week to be able to follow in the steps of our forefathers, such as Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas and others, and assemble, and to trace what it is that they taught, and to trace their steps, and to commit ourselves to our Lord in so doing. First day of the week. Psalm 19 is a wonderful chapter. And it ends with this particular uh, prayer. Psalm 19 introduces us to God's two major ways of communicating to us. He begins the chapter by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. And his firmament shows his handiwork. But then later in the chapter... The writer focuses on the Word of God, how the Word of God cleanses us and converts us and helps us to draw near unto Him. And then, here at the end, this prayer Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Before we get to the heart of this prayer, notice how the Lord is addressed. First, He's addressed as Lord, as Lord. Of course, in our day, Jesus is Lord, and He is Lord for many reasons. One is His resurrection. You recall in John 20, 25, 26, 27, 28, That Thomas wanted to see. He said, except I see the print in his hands, except I see the hole in his side, I will not believe. So Jesus invited Thomas to come and touch him, to come and see and to feel and stop disbelieving but believe. And when Thomas saw him with his own eyes, he said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says in John 20 and 29, You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He is our Lord. In Romans 10 and verse 9, we are to believe that Jesus is Lord. We are to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we are to believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead. The two go together, you see. If we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we also believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. So he begins the prayer here with Lord. He addresses God as Lord. Lord. But he's also our Redeemer. He's also our Redeemer. One of our favorite ways of referring to salvation, he is our Redeemer. God has redeemed us out of bondage. What a redeemer does. A redeemer buys someone out of a difficult situation. It doesn't get any more difficult than the condition of humanity because we're in sin. Sin brings a bondage to us. But the blood of Jesus, thankfully, the blood of Jesus cleanses us and redeems us, brings us out of sin if we, we are willing to submit. Remember Peter's words in 1 Peter 1 18 and 19, where he says, we have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold or even from the traditions handed down uh, by our forefathers, but rather we are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. (coughs) Jesus is that lamb. In Galatians 3 and 13, we read that Christ has become a curse for us and he has redeemed us He has brought us out of, he has bought us out of um, the curse of the law. In other words, he has brought us out of sin. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in Jesus Christ we have our redemption, even the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. That's what redemption is. He is our Redeemer, He's our Lord. He is our Redeemer. But he's also our rock, our strength. You see that? Some translations have rock here, some have strength, but we know what this means. I love these passages that bring out God as our rock. Let's read a couple of these together. 1 Samuel 2 from the lips of Hannah. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2, you'll want to notice. And she's praising the Lord and she says, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2, There is none like the Lord. There is none as holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, O Lord. There is no rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. And then if you jump over to Psalm 18, Psalm 18, and notice in your Bible, and you'll, you'll want to underline this if you haven't in your readings before, but Psalm, Psalm number 18, In verse 2. And we'll be referring back to Psalm 18 a couple times. But notice in your scriptures here, Psalm 18. (coughs) Verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my God. He's my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. I think it's a good recommendation that as we pray, we pray a lot to God, that we need to think of God definitely as our Father. Jesus teaches us on the Sermon on the Mount to address God as our Father who art in heaven. But we can change it up some. And as we change up the way we address God, it brings these other wonderful thoughts uh, into our hearts as well. He is our rock, He is our Redeemer, He is our Lord. Okay. And notice here in Psalm, going back to Psalm 19, uh, verse 14, notice that He is our overseer because we want the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart to be acceptable in His sight in his sight. You see the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch upon the evil and the good. That's what Proverbs 15:3 says. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the evil and the good. And so we want to make sure whatever it is that we are thinking, whatever it is that we're doing is acceptable in his sight. We as a society, we have lost sight of the sight of God. We've also lost a sense of the fear of God, and we must go back. And these are things that we need to talk to our children about and our grandchildren about, how that God sees, God sees everything, and we need to do that which is pleasing in His sight. We need to fear Him. We need to respect Him. Okay, so notice in this prayer, notice how that God is addressed as Lord, as our Redeemer, as our rock, our strength, and he is our overseer. He's watching us all, wanting us, desiring us to draw close to him. The major part of this prayer is our words and then the condition of our heart. And This makes sense. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 34, out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks. That's how it goes. Out of the abundance of your heart the mouth uh, speaks. And so it is good for us to think about prayer tonight. prayer. Someone has said that the power of prayer, the power is in the one who hears the prayer, and not in the one who utters the prayer, who says the prayer. Therefore, prayer makes a difference. Think about that closely. There's power in prayer because of the one who hears the prayer, not because of the one who utters the prayer. Therefore, prayer indeed can make a difference. We are encouraged to pray. And this is one message that, that all of us would send to any of our graduates, any of our young people, is to pray. And this verse helps us to think about what we should be praying as we pray uh, to God. One thing about prayer, prayer will outlive us because God outlives us. Prayers that we pray will outlive us because sometimes God will take a generation or two to answer a prayer or to move on a prayer, but yet we pray to Him because He's the one that has has the power. For a Christian to... For a Christian to be without prayer is no more possible than for us to be alive without breathing. We must depend on God in prayer. And so let's think about the two major parts of this prayer. The words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart. Lord, I want want help with my words, first of all. Lord, help me with with my words. Notice the three best ways we can use the gift of words. let's notice the three best ways that we can use the gift of words. The best way to use our tongue is in praise to God, in praise to God. If you go back and you do a little searching, the word psalm, the word psalm in the Old Testament just simply means praise, praise. Going back to Psalm 18, verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and the more we will learn about God, the more we know that's true. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Psalm 100 in verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Praise him, praise him. When Jesus teaches us to pray, Matthew 6 verse 9, he says, start like this. Say, hallowed be his name. In other words, hold his name in reverence and bring Praise to Him. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, the the verse begins by saying, sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord and Christ as holy. Set Him apart. Know that He is worthy of praise. And this praise to our Creator ought to be happening every day. Every day. Because the blessings are new every morning. At least that's what Lamentations 3, 19-22 says, They are new every morning. We sing this song, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Therefore, uh, my portion will be with him. Therefore, I will hope uh, in him. We praise the Lord. Lord, as I pray, Lord... Help me to see the great need to praise you, not just on the first day of the week, but to bring praise to your name through all that I do, to bring praise to your name, Lord, in as as many opportunities as I have. The second best way of using the gift of words is, of course, by sharing and speaking the truth, sharing and speaking the truth. Ephesians 4 and 15, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. That's what Christian living is all about. We're speaking the truth in love. Over in Acts 26, when Paul is appearing before Agrippa and other officials, he had explained the gospel. He explained his own change of life with the gospel. And they looked at Paul and said, Paul, all this learning has made you mad. You're out of your mind. Paul said, no, No, I'm I'm not mad. I'm speaking to you. Notice what he says, Acts 26, 25. He says, I am speaking to you words of truth and soberness. That's what I'm doing. That's the second best way of using our tongue. What a great gift it is just to be able to speak, to be able to speak. And we ought to use it to share and to speak out about the truth. That's what the Great Commission is about when Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 28 beginning in verse eighteen, he first talks about his authority. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then he talks about two aims, the two aims of the Great Commission, okay, to make disciples of, of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then the other aim is teaching them all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded you. And then there's the assurance, the assurance that, that the Lord will be with us always even unto the end of the world so notice in the great commission we're doing it by his authority there's two big things we're doing okay we're going forth we're teaching we're making disciples baptizing people for the remission of sins and then we're continuing to teach them all that the lord has commanded and we are assured that the lord is with us sometimes we must use the motive of fear Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What makes the words of Christ come out of us? Sometimes it's just a joy of living for Jesus, but sometimes you've got to stop and figure and contemplate the terror of the Lord. The Lord is terror. The Lord is wrathful toward sin and sinners who will not repent. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Hebrews 10, verse 30 and 31 talks about God being a consuming fire and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of uh, the living God. So we speak. The second best way to use our words is to not only praise the Lord, but also speak concerning Is truth. The Apostle Paul, we we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it's such a a good summary. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, he he said to Timothy, The things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's possibly four generations there There's, there's Paul, there's Timothy, there's faithful men, and then there's the others that the faithful men. We'll teach. Speaking the truth is a great way of using the blessing of our, of our lips. And then a third great way of using the blessing of our lips is by building other people up. Building other people up. It's just straightforwardly said in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that, that one of the things we ought to be doing is building one another up and exhorting one another. That's what we ought to be doing. And it's a great way of using our gift of words that God has given us. Ephesians 4 and 29, the apostle says, Let no corrupt communication come proceeding out of your mouth, but that which can be used for edifying, edifying, for building up, for boosting someone else. There's a tremendous verse that probably you have marked in your reading of Proverbs. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I mean, you can't hardly beat a, an encouraging word. And it could be that your words of encouragement could, could change at least a person's day. It could change their outlook on life. It could change their life altogether altogether. But let us be speaking words of encouragement. In Proverbs 15, 23, it says, A word in due season, how good it is. So we, we are taught here that we need to be looking for ways, looking for opportunities to encourage someone who may be uh, discouraged or downhearted. One interesting thing that's said about the virtuous woman in, in Proverbs 31 is that she has the law of kindness upon her lips, Proverbs, Proverbs 31, 25, and 26. She has a law of kindness. Kindness ought to be a law. It ought to be a law. It ought to be a law in the home. That's, that's the way it was in this lady's home, talked about there in Proverbs 31. That, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. She spoke kindly. She spoke kindly of her husband. She spoke kindly to her children. She spoke kindly... To her neighbors the law of kindness was there that law of kindness ought to show up in the church as well ephesians 4 31 and 32 Paul says in verse 32 to be kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as Christ God in Christ has forgiven us that that ought to be a law it is a law not just ought to be a law it is a law it's a law from God that we ought to be kind one to another, tender hearted, loving, patient with one another in the home and in the church, and even to strangers. You remember in Matthew 25, as Jesus talked about Judgment Day, he said to those on his right hand, I was a stranger and you took me in. We must learn to be kind to strangers, get in the habit of being kind to strangers. Someone you don't even know. Someone that you've never even spoken to. Open up and be kind to them. You never know where that conversation um, might lead. We talked about some fears a couple of weeks ago. And one of the fears we, we mentioned was uh, xenophobia. It starts with an X. Xenophobia. And that's the fear of strangers. And God would have us to overcome that fear in light of hopefully spreading good news and building one another up. And so notice here in the prayer, let the words of my mouth... Well, How am I going to pray this prayer? I'm going to say, Lord, help me this day to use my mouth to praise you. Help me to see the benefit of that. Help me to see the importance of that. Help me to see all that you're about. Help me to use... I'm getting up early and I'm saying my prayer... Lord, help me to use my words today to praise you. And Lord, also today, help me to use my mouth today to speak the truth to somebody, speak the truth somewhere to somebody, to share this truth in love. And Lord, also today, help me to use my words to build somebody up, help me to use the law of kindness everywhere I go. All right? So that's the first major part of the prayer. And then, of course, the second major part is the meditations of our heart. We want to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with my words. But also we've got to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with my heart. Help me with my heart. What kind of heart would God want us to have? Quickly, let's just run over and review the kind of heart God would have us to have. God would have us to have an honest heart, an honest heart. In the parable of the sower, that Luke 8, verse 15, that's the, the good and honest heart is the person who finally we read about he receives the word and he bears fruit with the receiving of that word. The good and honest heart. Someone who is honest is is earnest and sincere. Very sincere. You remember Nathaniel that Jesus met, John chapter 1, and when Philip went and got Nathanael and brought him to Jesus, John 1, Jesus looked to Nathanael and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile, no guile. He's not saying that Nathanael was a perfect man, but he was saying here is an honest and earnest man of God, and no guile. And someone who is honest knows that they need the guidance of the Lord. Jeremiah 10:23 says, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Uh, an honest man knows he needs the Lord's guidance. So God would have us to have an honest heart. But also, God would want us to have a seeking heart, a, a heart that seeks. Proverbs 18, 15 says, the wise heart seeks after knowledge. And He's talking here about spiritual knowledge. God would have us to seek spiritual knowledge. He would have us to to inquire. He He would have us to question. He would have us to probe. He would have us to research. He would have us to read and read again and don't stop until we arrive at the truth. Regardless of the cost, regardless of where it leads us, He would have us to have a seeking heart. We read about... The Bereans in Acts 17:11 and 12 that they searched the Scriptures daily to see what they were hearing and whether it was so or not. And they and when they found it was so, they received it with a with a ready and an open mind. But well, we first got to do the searching and the seeking. We must be like Jesus talks about in Matthew 5:6. Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. We must hunger after it. We must thirst after it. God would have us to have a seeking heart, heart that seeks, regardless of the cost, regardless of where this leads me, regardless of where I stand after I come to know this, I must seek after His will. It's the love of the truth Paul speaks of in Second Thessalonians 2 and uh, verse 10. But also God would have us to have an understanding heart. So first an honest heart and then also a seeking heart, and then thirdly, He would have us to have an understanding heart. The the verse here is Matthew 13, 15, where Jesus said, if you have a humble heart, then you're going to end up understanding with your heart, and then you'll be healed. You'll be healed. Notice that at the last part of Matthew 13, 15. If If you're able to understand with your heart the Word of God, and then you'll be healed. Not... Physically healed, but spiritually healed. You'll be able to you'll be able to have forgiveness of your sins. You'll learn to overcome sin in a greater way on a daily basis. Okay. But it starts with having an understanding heart. Understanding heart. You see, it, it does matter what we believe. That's something we must understand at a real young age. It does matter what you believe. Now, many in the religious world they run about and they, they say, well, as, as long as you have some sort of attachment to Jesus and you got some good will in your heart, then it doesn't really matter what you believe. But boy, that's so far from Scripture. It's not even funny. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, he first points out in that verse what God wants. He wants us all to be saved. And then he points out in the last part of that verse how it is that we get there. Isn't that very nice of God? Here's what I want, and we want it too. We want salvation. God says, here's how it happens. You've got to come to the knowledge of the truth. It does matter what we believe. And when we have an understanding heart, it will protect us from so many things, especially will it protect us from being a shallow person. By and large, that's what you find. In religious people today, because they're not, they don't have the seeking heart and the understanding heart, then they're basically they don't know what they believe, and so they're, they're pretty shallow when it comes to, to faith in Jesus. And Jesus even talks about this in Matthew thirteen twenty and twenty one again with the parable of the sower. He says it's very important that when you receive the seed, the word of God, that it goes down deep into your soul, or else when tribulation comes along or the storms of life comes along or persecution comes along, then you're quickly going to fall away because you're just a shallow person. Okay? You have no root in you. And this is our prayer for our young people is that they would have roots, deep down roots in the, in the Word of God. So this can protect them. We can't be with our young folks. And if it was possible for us to be with our children Everywhere they go, I would have figured it out by now. It's impossible. But here's one thing we can do. We can sink them deep into the Word of God, and then that will protect them from every little wind of doctrine that comes along. They will stay strong. They will stay planted in the faith of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Giving out candy, sharing food, having some recreational activities... That's all fine in its place, but that's not really church. Church is learning the Word of God. Church is learning to pray. Church is learning to worship. Church is letting the Word of God create roots in your soul so that you believe because you know what you believe. You have that understanding heart. And then after the understanding heart, we've also got to have a broken heart. So you've got to have an honest heart. You've got to have a seeking heart. You've got to have an understanding heart. But it's also got to be broken. Broken. And a couple of verses, Psalm 34, 18, Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a contrite spirit. It also says that God draws near to those of a broken heart. This doesn't mean that you're that God draws near to you when your girlfriend breaks up with you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that you have understood, with your understanding heart, you've now understood God. You're understanding more and more about God, how holy He is, and how tragic sin is. And then you're able to look at your own sin, and it just breaks your heart that you have acted contrary to the Holy God, to the Creator of the universe. And it brings you down. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching. It says in Acts 2.37, they were pricked in their heart. Until a person gets pricked in their heart, they're not going to have any religion with Jesus. There's no faith in Christ. This This is an area you have to pass through time and time again. Every time you sin, you've got to have a broken heart. That's what the Word of God is meant to do, and that's what it will do. Absolutely. It breaks your heart. James says in James 4, verses 8 and 9, let your be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your, let your laughter be turned to mourning, let your joy be turned to heaviness, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what he's talking about there. He says, you got your, your heart, your life has got to be broken. You've got to have a broken heart. Because now you understand what you've done against God. With knowledge comes the responsibility to to allow the word to break your heart. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's a spiritual statement. That's not really a funeral statement. That's a spiritual statement. The one who is able to mourn over his sins... The one who's able to have that broken heart before God because he understands the will of God, that is the one who will be ultimately comforted. That's the promise of our Lord there. And then there's the obedient heart. So this is kind of the progression. This is the kind of heart that we're praying to have. We're praying to have an honest, seeking, understanding, broken an obedient heart, as Paul speaks of it in Romans 6 and 17, he says, "God be thanked. Whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching that was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became, you have become the servants of righteousness." We must obey from the heart. The word "obeyed" means to listen with the intent to submit. You listen with the intent to put yourself under the teaching that you're listening to, provided it turns out to be the truth. So as we study God's Word, we're studying with the intent to put ourselves under that teaching. If if this turns out to be true, then I'm going to put myself under this teaching because this is the will of God. That's, that's what obedience means. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1, 22, seeing then you have... A, You have purified your souls through your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. It's just a beautiful statement there uh, from Peter. So I'm going to pray. And in my prayer, I'm going to say, Lord, help me with my heart. What does that mean? Lord, help me to be honest in my heart. Lord, help me to seek You with my heart. Lord, help me to understand You from my heart. Lord, help me to be broken. Help me to grieve over my sin. Lord, help me to obey when I see Your will. Help me to be quick to repent and obey. That's the kind of prayer that we want to pray. This is the kind of prayer that we have for our young people, for our graduates. This is the kind of prayer... We want our young people to be praying every day. This is this kind of prayer we want to see them live out in their lives. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love this prayer. I just wanted to share it with you uh, this evening. This is a good time for us to stop and consider. We've talked about some very, very important matters. We've talked about our heart. We think about that song, Is Your Heart Right With God? That's a good question as we come to the end of this prayer. What about my status before God? Am I in submission to Him? Am I obeying Him? Am I seeking Him? Am I using my words? Am I using my lips for His glory and for the benefit of other uh, people? Thank you for sharing this time. And if you have a need of our God uh, this evening, will you please make that known as we stand right now as we sing together.